Listener beware, you're in for a scare. Oh, Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of So I Married a Horror Fan. Uh, this is episode number 60, aka season 2, episode 6. I am one of your hosts, as always. I am Simon. And I'm Lee. And today we're doing something very fun. It's February. We are starting our family friendly horror month. And we are kicking off with a lovely episode on Goosebumps, which I didn't realise, fortuitously, turned 30 years old this year. The first Goosebumps oh, book gross. was post was released in July 1992. We are actually covering something from the year you were born. Oh, yeah. Thanks for reminding me that I'm 30 this year. Yeah. I don't remember what day it was like. It was such a long time ago. Well, you are ancients. So. <laughs> um, yeah, so today we are covering the 2015 or 2016, depending on what part of the world you're from, movie Goosebumps. Because I think we got it about five months after it came out in the US. It came out October 2015 in the US, mm -hmm. February 2016 in the UK. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, I've been looking forward to doing this one for a while. So I think before we get into the movie and, and kind of go into the ins and outs of, of everything that's going on, we should probably discuss a little bit about like Goosebumps and kind of like our personal relationships to the material. So you obviously were born the year Goosebumps came out. When did you first discover Goosebumps? Uh, I discovered the Nickelodeon show. Oh, damn. What, the one with the Ryan Gosling's in it? I thought he was in Now You're Afraid of the Dark. No, and he was in an episode of Goosebumps. Oh. And Hayden yeah. Christensen. So, yeah, the TV show was kind of um, where I first found Goosebumps, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, with the TV, yeah, because it was very popular, wasn't it? When It was like. On weekdays at like five o'clock in the evening or something, you would come home. You would come home from school and it would be on. Um, I remember because I'm obviously because I'm a little bit older than you. I remember discovering it at school book fair. Yeah, like a lot of people did. So when I was, I think it, I must have been about seven or eight. We used to have these book fairs at our school. So they would, you would get like a little catalog and you'd be like, here's the books you can order. And then you would order the books and then they would deliver them to the school and then you would just go and pick them up. Um, and I remember getting like a Where's Wally book because I was well into Where's Wally when I was a kid. And I remember getting some Goosebumps books. And I remember when, when I was in uh, junior school, they used to stock them in our school library. And they were one of those things like everybody remembers the cover to a Goosebumps book. The original ones where they were like, they had like some like weird bubbling like ooze on the front of them and all the like ooze on the cover would be like slime or whatever it would be like a different color depending on what the book was mm. and then in the middle of the slime would be whatever the thing the book was based on or at least that's what the uk covers were i don't know what the covers were like worldwide so i remember like the covers with like slappy on it who's the dummy i remember the haunted mask I remember a few of the other ones. Um, in fact, actually, you guys can't see it, but I'm going to post a picture of this on our Instagram page because everybody should uh, see it. I have a copy here that Lee got me for Christmas of The Art of Goosebumps by Sarah Rodriguez. It's a nice hardback book that came out the tail end of last year. 
to celebrate the 30th anniversary of Goosebumps. And it's got the original artwork to... So if you look here, this is obviously based on the American artwork because the artwork looks like... I'll take some pictures and show you, but it, it doesn't have the ooze. Whereas like the ooze and the slime, I think, was on the UK-based ones. And they're the covers that I remember as a kid. Um, and yeah, I just remember like buying them and being like... Because I think they weren't very expensive when we were kids. They were like four or five pounds for a book. Um, so you could get like a couple of books at a time and then I just remember getting them from like the school uh, library and being like this is awesome and then like you I discovered the TV show um, and everybody knows my feelings on anthology horror TV shows I mean it was one of those TV shows where like at the time like I don't think you remember this because we've had this discussion before you had a lot of like horror adjacent content for kids because mm -hmm. you had like the Tales from the Crypt animated series you had the Little Shop of Horrors animated series. You had Are You Afraid of the Dark? You had uh, Eerie Indiana, which I think is the one that you didn't remember because you spoke about it the other day. You had the Australian one, Round the Twist. I don't know if any, I don't know if anyone in America actually knows what Round the Twist is because you, you rem like, I remember Round the Twist. Are you going? Have you ever, ever felt like this? Strange things happen. happen. Are you going round the, the twist? twist? I think that was like set in Australia and that was like a show that we got over here as well. So yeah, like weirdly enough, like at a young age, like, and it was not long after this that Hocus Pocus came out and mm -hmm. that was like massive for kids and Casper and all that sort of stuff. Um, so yeah, it kind of like, I think Goosebumps hit at the right time. It hit the right generation of children at the right time. Um... And obviously it was very it was a very memorable thing. Um so yeah, when they announced that they were making a movie, even though the by the time the movie came out, I was already like 30, I was like, I am well well interested in like what this is gonna be. Yeah. Um purely because part of it's like nostalgia and part of it's like that part of your brain is like, well what what are they gonna do? Are they gonna mm. make a series of films and they're gonna just like start adapting stories from the books? Like which one are they gonna do? And then obviously they announced that they were taking the meta like in universe, like R.L. Stein is a real guy. These are real stories like approach the kitchen sink approach to it, which I think is probably the most interesting way to go uh, because you kind of get like this weird like grab bag of monsters. Yeah, but it makes it I think it makes the movie more fun. And plus it kind of gives kids like a reference point of like. Rather than just being like, oh, there's this one story. Oh, yeah, no, like, I feel like if they'd have done this as, like, it was a single story that they adapted, it would not have worked as a film. Yeah. Like, it works really well in a TV show. Mm-hmm. But it would not have worked at all as a film. Yeah. Because it says, like, the notes that I have for this, basically, Tim Burton was originally going to produce a movie in 1998, but it fell through. Nobody knows what that movie would have been. Like, we don't know what approach he would have taken in 1998, whether it would have been to do a singular story or whether it would have been to do something like this, because mm. I don't think the details of that were ever revealed. Um, George A. Romero was attached in the 90s to direct and wrote a draft of the script, and he was going to do a version of Welcome to the Dead House. So he was going to do, surprisingly, zombie a room. zombie story. <laughs> Um, and that, like, I think that would have been fucking kick-ass. Like, mm. I love George Romero. I think George Romero being the king of the zombies, his zombie stuff is iconic. Um, you look at any of the movies that he made, and I think him doing a zombie movie for kids would have been kind of dope. Like, it would have been really interesting. Um, so there was kind of, like, some of those sort of ideas that floated around. 
um, and like a few people took swings at it. I don't know why it took them so long um, to kind of bring Goosebumps to the cinema because the thing is, like, I looked it, I looked it up to see how many of like adapted works he already had. So he had the Goosebumps TV series. Mm. He had R.L. Stein's The Haunting Hour, which was a TV series. So an episode of The Haunting Hour is my most feared episode of a TV show ever. Oh really? Yeah, Dreamcatcher. Oh, which is like, like episode eight of season two or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I still have nightmares about it to this day. And I have a dream catch that I've had since I was maybe 13, 14, that I still have. It's not up because I've got nowhere to put it, <laughs> but I refuse to get rid of it because in the episode, uh, a girl destroys her dream, a dream catch gets destroyed and they all start getting like basically like hunted down in their dreams by this like nightmare monster. Oh shit! Super not into it. I was like, I'm gonna keep that forever now. I can never get rid of my Dreamcatcher. And then obviously they did the two Goosebumps movies. They did this, and then the sequel, uh, Haunted Halloween. There is that new R.L. Stein show on Disney Plus, Just Beyond, which we saw mm-hmm. a couple of episodes of. There was also an adaptation of Rotten School and Little Shop of Monsters. And then we got last year the Fear Street film trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are getting a new Goosebumps TV show, which is coming to Disney+. Plus. Uh, There's another horror, another movie um, as well. Because there's on Netflix... Oh, what are they called? It's got What's-Her-Face from The Descendants in it. That Dove Cameron? Yeah. I was like, what is she called? Yeah, there's another one as well. Um, it seems like recently there seems to have been a lot of renewed interest in R.L. Stein and his work. I'm pretty sure this is like relatively old. Um, like as old as something can be that's got Dove yeah. Cameron in it because obviously she is a child. But um, She's in her 20s. She's a child. Uh, did, did, I literally watched it the other week because I had nothing to do and I was feeling sorry for myself so I watched <laughs> a kids film R.L. Stein's Monsterville oh there's two Monsterville films I think yeah because it's got Dove Cameron and it's got Catherine McNamara in it which is why I watched it uh, there you go yeah I'm pretty sure there's a second uh, Horrorville film as well a Monsterville film even so they've been doing a lot with like R.L. Stein's work. And I didn't realise, so I'm going to run through something really quickly before we get into the meeting of the Bones episode. I didn't realise how many book series he was responsible for. So as of 1998, I'm sure it's gone up significantly since then. R.L. Stein had sold 400 million copies of his work. But I didn't realise until I looked it up. He has, the I've got a whole list here. So he, the book series he worked on, Space Cadets, Goosebumps, Goosebumps Horrorland, Goosebumps Most Wanted, Goosebumps Series 2000, Give Yourself Goosebumps, Give Yourself Goosebumps the Special Edition Series, Fear Street, New Fear Street, Cheerleaders, The Fear Street Saga Trilogy, 99 Fear Street, The House of Evil, A Fear Street Novel, which was a collection of standalone Fear Street novels, Return to Fear Street, uh, from Fear Street Super Chiller, Fear Street Cataluna Chronicles, Fear Street Fear Park, Ghosts of Fear Street, Fear Street Seniors, Fear Street Knights, um, Mostly Ghostly, The Nightmare Room, Rotten School, Horror High, and he worked on some of the point horror novels as well. That's what else was missing. What? Mostly Ghostly. 
Yeah. Because there's like three mostly ghostly films as well. And it, he was saying that he tends to write about seven books a year, which is crazy. Because man's batshit insane. That's yeah. Um, but what do you like? What do you think of the Goosebumps movie? So like, we should probably like because I I've always been a big fan of the books, and I think for what the books are, they're a really really cool gateway into horror for kids. So weirdly enough. Um, I never really read any of the Goosebumps book. I think I read Night of the Living Living Dummy. Yeah. At some point. But I read the Shivers books. They make a reference to that in this they movie. They make a reference to them in this movie because Shivers are like widely renowned for being a rip-off of the Goosebumps series. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they make a reference in the film. They call When he first meet Jack Black, he's referred to as Mr. Shivers. Yeah, which I which think is I love. hilarious. It's so funny. But yeah, so I was never really a massive Goosebumps fan until I saw the show and I watched that and Are You Afraid of the Dark? Mm-hmm. Um, I was reading the Shivers books because that was what my nana bought me. <laughs> Man, Shivers, bro. My nana used to buy me Shivers books. It's like it's like it's like that age old, age old meme, isn't it? Like, can we have pizza? Thinking you're going to get Dominoes, and then your nan's like, "We have We've pizza, got pizza at home." At home. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Basically. Um, but yeah, like I I was excited when they announced the movie because I like this is a weird thing. Like being part of the horror community, I see so many people being like gatekeeper about horror and being like they. It's like. It's like with music. People are like, oh man, fucking Fallout Boy aren't a rock band. And I'm like, they fucking are. And like to kids they are. Or like to other people they are. Just because you don't like it. Mm. And it's the same as like with horror. Everyone's like, if it's not fucking extreme, bro. If like people aren't getting fucking decapitated and eaten, it fucking sucks. It's not horror. And I'm like, this is a horror movie. This is a horror franchise. Mm-hmm. Like, and I will stand by that. And I think, like, especially as a kid. Like, if you read some of these stories when you're children. Like, Dan like like... I mean, not maybe children now, but, like, when we were reading these, or when I was reading these in the 90s, this shit was, like, fucking scary. Mm. And, like, I think this is a perfectly acceptable movie for younger children. Like, if you had, like, a child maybe between the ages of, like, five and seven, and you wanted to start them on the road to horror, this is a perfect, perfect film to do it. Because it's got so many cool monsters in it. It's got so many cool characters and it's not overly scary like obviously there are bits in it that i think would be scarier for small children like some of the creature design mm-hmm. like man i'm 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 a nearly 40 year old man and i am scared of slappy like that motherfucker comes towards me and he is getting a fucking headbutt i would yeet that little prick across the room cuz he scares the fucking so shit so i'm out of me. not scared of slappy Man. Purely because there is a Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode, we mm-hmm. talked about this earlier, mm-hmm. which has a puppet in it, and it's a slappy puppet. Yeah. And he's he's a good guy in the Buffy episode. Mm-hmm. And I love that episode so much that I find it very difficult to be scared of Slappy. I tell you, man, if that dummy came running towards me, I would throw hands. Like I would I would chuck him in a wood chipper. Mm. He would he would yeah, fuck that guy. Um but yeah, like I think I think like in all honesty. I think, like, a lot of the movies on this list, because obviously we're doing family-friendly horror, I think any of the four movies that we're covering this month would be perfectly acceptable to show children Mm -hmm. if you were looking to get them into, like, horror. Um, And especially, like, because of what this... what Goosebumps would lead to, then you could lead them onto, like, the books and then, like, the TV show and then, like, as we said, the haunting hour... And then when they're a little bit older, you can kind of get them into like the Fear Street stuff. Maybe don't show them the Fear Street movies just yet, because 
they're gnarly. But I also like the fact as well that the monster, like, obviously, like a lot of horror writers, R.L. Stein takes a crack at, like, a lot of different mythologies. So he's written his own scary clown story. He's written his own scary alien story, like uh, werewolves, vampires, all that stuff. And I love the fact that they cram as many of those things into the movie as possible. So it feels a little bit like an updated version of the Monster Squad in a lot of ways. Like, because you have a vampire, even though it's a poodle, you have a werewolf, you have zombies, you have ghosts, you have all of these iconic creatures and, like, characters from, like, horror literature with, like, this child-friendly spin on them. And there are a couple of scenes in this movie that are, for children, I would say, are quite tense. The scene in the supermarket where they get chased by the werewolf is, like, fucking cool. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Yeah, and I think, like, that is quite a tense scene. It's, 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 the, it's the perfect, like, horror chase scene, but it's done in a way where it's, like, it's just scary enough mm-hmm. that kids would be like, oh shit but it's not going to give them nightmares it reminds me a lot of the raptor scene in jurassic park yeah um and it's very well shot and like see i think the far scarier scene is the uh the gnomes man again the gnomes in the kitchen because that's like that's that is like legitimately quite a scary scene like once you get over the funny of like oh it's gnomes yeah. It's legit quite scary. That scene but that's is... the thing with all of this, is like there were plenty of scenes in this that are quite scary, but it is offset quite well by it being a little bit stupid. Yeah. That's that gnome scene, man, is gnome joke. The goal the ghoul scene. Yeah. I like the scene where he discovers that she is a ghost mm-hmm. as well. Uh which is in the same scene. But like this is the thing with R.L. Stein. R.L. Stein is obviously a very good writer. Mm-hmm. Um and I think, like, the thing is, he knows he knows that line of, like, scaring people without being over the top. Yeah. Like, he knows how to, like, obviously... He knows the target audience that he's writing for. And he knows how to deliver for the audience without being, like, overly, like, graphic or, like... And he does a lot of, like... It's like a lot of, I would say, like old school horror storytelling. It's a lot of like, there were shadows that crept. And like, he plays on a lot of like childhood fears. You know, like that, I don't know know if you ever had this fear as a child. Like I had this fear as a child. Like, you know, when you wake up in the middle of the night and you're half asleep and you Mm -hmm. see something and you think that you've seen something else. So you'll look at like a pile of clothes. I still do it now and I'm a fully grown adult. And you're just like what the hell was that pretty much yeah i still do it now and i'm a fully grown adult like i still do get and that, that's like, oh shit what the fuck was that <laughs> and that's kind of what he does really well he does that whole like that sort of horror rather than like blood and guts and everybody's like getting killed and massacred horror i mean he does that like sure. that thing that you think is scary probably is <laughs> see i've again never read any of the books so i can't really comment on like what he's like as an author He's, I don't know. He's he's very he's very nice, very evil. Hmm. Um, but like in terms of the film, how do you think the film works? Like tonally, what do you think of the tone of the film? Yeah. Because like, do you think it works as a horror movie for kids as oh, much yeah. as it works as just like a normal family film? Oh yeah, definitely. 
they do a really good job of hitting like the correct tonal balance in this because the thing is, is they could have very easily made this an adult film yeah like there's enough horror elements in it that if they took out the things that make it slightly more light-hearted and more kid-friendly and put some some blood in there and a few deaths this could very quickly have become an adult horror movie it's really interesting though isn't it because we obviously like just to kind of double back to Fear Street for a second, we watched that Fear Street trilogy, mm-hmm. and the Fear Street trilogy is no joke. Oh no! Like they like film. some shit goes down in those movies, mm-hmm. and like it's it's weird to think that the guy who created Slappy the Puppet is the same guy that like created Fear Street. Like he obviously has both of those things in him, mm-hmm. but those two things are very very much like worlds apart. They are like. It's like James Gunn writing is, though, Scooby-Doo again, though, and then like, writing never, Suicide Squad. I've never read the Fear Street books, so I don't know how adult the Fear Street books, in fact, actually are. I think that... Uh, I think they're aimed for slightly older kids, but I don't think they're, like, adult. No, I think but, they're YA novels, so... Yeah, so the thing is, is I feel like the film, the Fear Street films are scary and they're adult horror movies, but that's because they've made the decision to make them adult. Yeah. Like, they could have very easily made a teeny young adult. Yeah, somewhere along the line they went, we are doing this R-rated or we're not doing it at all. Yeah. And I feel like somewhere a decision was made. Um, but no, I think... I think the Fear Street stuff is YA, whereas this is more like pre-teens and like small children. I mean, I probably wouldn't let a small child read these. Would you let a small child watch the movie, though? Probably, because they wouldn't have a clue what was going on. I think... I think it all depends, like, because... It depends on the kid, because I was a pansy. Like, you couldn't have shown this to me as a kid. I was an absolute pansy. Yeah, like, this is the thing. This is, I think this is the thing that people forget when it comes to horror. Like, I see so many arguments from, like, people online being like, oh, my God, I can't believe you let your, like, seven-year-old watch horror movies. Like, my child couldn't do that. And I was like, yeah, but that's the distinction, isn't it? You're not a bad parent if you watch horror movies with your children, equally as much as you're not a good parent if you don't show them that. Thing it's is based like, on, no, like... No, 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 no. I can't agree with that. Because there is, there is a line, hmm. like... Fucking seven-year-olds watching Chucky, completely irresponsible. Mm-hmm. That that franchise is not mm-hmm. made for a child. Showing your kids like a a kids horror film, or maybe even pushing it to like a PG thirteen horror film. But it, you have to make that decision as a parent. I don't. I personally don't think that small children, especially, should be allowed to watch what are essentially adult films with like blood and gore. I think. I think it depends, A, on the maturity of the child and, like, the parenting around, like, what's happening with the child. But I also think it depends on the film. Like, would I show a seven-year-old Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Probably not. But would I let a seven-year-old watch The Lost Boys? Probably. Both horror movies. Both. But that's but, what I'm saying. Is like, you wouldn't it, show a seven-year-old Chucky. I personally wouldn't, but I know people that have. See, I would, I, 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 but again, like, I don't. I think you should. The the writing system is there for a reason. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I just look at my own childhood and I'm like, I was scared of fucking lots of shit. So this shit would have fucked me up when I was a kid. Mm. But at the same time, I'm like, do I realise we didn't even do the casting? No, we haven't done any of that bit yet. No. <laughs> we just went straight into it. Straight in. Should we do the cast? Yeah. Let's do that. Okay, so... Because we obviously brain-farted this episode, apparently. 
Um, we have casting wise for this film. We have. Uh, oh wait, hang on. Director. Rob Letterman. Rob Letterman. Written by. Someone Lemke. Uh, Darren Lemke. There we go. There you go. And then we have starring Jack Black as R.L. Stein slash the voice of Slappy. Slash the voice of the Invisible Boy. Uh, he's not credited for the voice of the Invisible Boy. No, that is him though. Sure. Uh, Dylan Minnette as Zach. Adeo Rush as Hannah. Ryan Lee as Champ. Amy Ryan as Gail. Gillian Bell as Lorraine, who is the aunt. I feel like I've not told you any of these people actually are. I... Zach, Hannah and Champ are the three teenagers who have to solve this problem because obviously a kid has to solve it, not an adult. Yeah. Uh, Gail is Zach's mum. Lorraine is Zach's aunt. Taylor, uh, Halston Sage is Taylor, who is the hot girl at the school who Champ wants to date. The one who, who calls him Chump. Yeah, and then Stephen Kruger is also in this as Davidson, who is the guy from... Yellow Jackets. Yellow Jackets and originals mate he's excellent in yellow jackets yeah he's the he's the popular jock boy who thinks they're full of shit mate i'm not being funny he looks about 40 in this movie he's meant to be the same age as fucking i have no idea how old stephen kruger is he's born in 89 so he's four years younger than me so he's 33 so when this movie came out seven years ago mm. he would have been 26 yeah. and he's playing a fucking high school oh fuck off i mean he's only in like Three scenes. I know, but still, he looks about 40. Uh, Keith Arden, Arthur Bolden plays Principal Garrison. Amanda Lund plays Officer Brooks. Timothy Simmons plays Officer Stevens. Ken Marino plays Coach Carr. Yeah. And then we have a guest spot from R.L. Stein playing Mr. Black. Yeah. And Kamal Nanjiani, obviously. Who? Kamal Nanjiani in the deleted scenes. Is he? Yeah. So, now that you've gone through this bit, I can actually kind of talk a little bit more about what was cut out of this movie. Mm -hmm. So this movie had an alternate opening and an alternate ending. Uh, the alternate ending was changed because uh, test audiences hated it. And the original ending was, at, uh, the original opening was actually used for a cutscene in one of the video games. So the original opening for this movie was meant to start with two movers, Luca Jones and Kamal Nanjiani. And they're putting all the books They've got a, a trunk with all the books in it. And they accidentally drop the book that's got Slappy in it, the Night of the Living Dummy, and the book opens. But they pick it up and then they just put it back in the trunk and they think it's going to be all right. They start driving towards the house, obviously to the house where Stein's living at the beginning of the film. And they hear like a banging in the back of the trunk. And they open the trunk and Slappy jumps out. And all you hear is the truck door slam and then the two guys screaming and yeah that was how the movie was originally meant to open okay. and then the alternate ending is obviously hannah dies hannah mm -hmm. stays a ghost she gets sucked into the book like she does at the end of the movie um and then there's a new girl that turns up at the school called anna yeah who looks exactly like yeah. her yeah i've heard about this ending. and zach thinks that it's another creation that stein has created but then he says no it's not and then they kind of like go off together and instead of the invisible boy writing in the typewriter at the end, it's actually Slappy. So Slappy got swapped out in the original for the invisible boy because the end of the movie is obviously the invisible boy writing on the typewriter that's his revenge. But apparently, according to R.L. Stein, test audiences hated that ending. So they changed it to the end and it's in the movie. Personally, I don't think the movie loses anything from not having either of those scenes in it. No. Like, I think the beginning scene where you're introduced to the family makes more sense than having some like lazy movers being the ones that like 
Over release lappy. Yeah. Um, what did you think of... So, like, this movie is obviously, like, fucking R.L. Stein's crazy world. What did you... Like, what do you think of the approach of the movie? Like, what do you think of the whole he's actually a character in universe and his creations are real side of things? Like, does that work for you? Yeah. And, like, they did it that way as well of, like, is the actual R.L. Stein and, like, his books are actually, like, basically like prisons for his imaginary monsters. I like the idea of that. Yeah, and I, I kind of, like, if you look at it from a certain perspective as well, I like the idea of, like, these characters, like, live on in the imaginations of children, so that's why they're kind of, like, they could have gone that whole route of, like, because I've I've read these books for 30 years, they've taken on a life of their own because they live in the imaginations of children. And yeah, all but I prefer the route they went down of, like, him being a lonely kid and, like, he created all these monsters and then basically has had to trap them. Yeah. Like, I, I think the way that they do it, is really interesting because they set up a really interesting like set of rules of like if the book gets burnt the things they like the, the, yeah. whatever the monster is becomes a, a real a tangible thing in the real world and it stays well they're tangible at all times aren't they if yeah. they're out of the book they're tangible but you have to have the book to lock them back inside of it yeah um so yeah yeah i i really like the idea of it and i really like the fact that like there are some monsters in this because it's kind of like the not in a museum thing. Like there are monsters in this that obviously don't get a lot of screen time. They are just kind of like, if you are a super fan, that Easter eggs for like you, like you'll be able to be like, Oh, that's that character from that book or whatever. But I like the main set of creatures that they use because they use the praying mantis. There's that amazing scene where the giant praying mantis is chasing them through the city. And it fucking like starts knocking all the buildings. Do you want a funny fact about this? So in the movie, they make a joke about him not knowing where one of the characters is from. The Praying Mantis. The Praying Mantis. That is because when uh, R.L. Stein read the script, he couldn't remember what book <laughs> The Praying Mantis was from. <laughs> and that's why the joke is in there, because he'd forgotten about one of his own creations because of the amount of books he's written. Nice. Or or had ghost written, if you if Scholastica to be believed. Uh, he didn't have. I don't, know, <laughs> I don't believe for a second he had any of these ghosts written. He might, I just can't imagine him doing that. Well, did you know he but doesn't yeah, he own... apparently forgot... He created this monster, and that's why that line's in the film. Because he doesn't own the trademark for no, no, Goosebumps anymore. Uh, Scholastic, Scholastic do. do. Uh, they got they got it in a like nine point three six million dollar like settlement, which is fucking bullshit. But yeah, like I I love. There's a couple of little references to like his career in the book. Obviously, the whole scene where he where Jack Black meets the actual R.L. Stein and they have each other's names. I think is a cool reference. Do you know what's really interesting as well? So if you if you listen, so Jack Black's the new English teacher because mm-hmm. obviously he's a writer, R.L. Stein, and then R.L. Stein as Jack Black is the new drama uh, teacher, drama teacher because actor. he's an actor. Yeah, it's a cute little nod to um, Jack Black. They could have gone a layer deeper and had him be a music teacher. They that could, would have been but hilarious. most people most people know Jack Black as an actor. Yeah. I think not as uh, a singer. Well, no, what I was going to say was because the whole School of Rock thing, where he plays a music teacher in School of Rock, that's the route I was oh, going down. Oh, I was down. going down Tenacious D, but sure. Tenacious D. Tenacious D. Or that fucking scene in High Fidelity where he sings. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I like. I like the fact that they make, like, there's obviously, like, a little bit of a friendly rivalry between him and Stephen King as well, because they make a couple of references to that in the movie, which I find really fucking it's funny the, as well. It's the scene where he's got to re- write the new book, 
and he goes into the hall and they're obviously putting on a production of The Shining. Yeah. Which is obviously a Stephen King book about an author trapped in a hotel room having to write a story. Yeah. And R.L. Stein has to be trapped on the stage in this hotel room <laughs> to like, write the story. He's just like, come on, man. It's so funny. But yeah, because yeah. there's a few there's a few little jokes about um Stephen King, which I love. I also didn't realise how much the first season of Buffy had episodes that were kind of pretty much directly referenced to Goosebumps. The first season of Buffy is basically a Goosebumps spin-off because there's the episode with the haunted clown where they all have their fears and Xander gets chased by the clown that looks exactly like the clown in this movie. Mm -hmm. There's the puppet episode. There's the praying mantis episode Mm -hmm. where the teacher is the praying mantis. Mm -hmm. And there's also the episode where... um, there's another episode that uh, something in this reminded me of as well, and I can't remember what it was. Um, but yeah, there's another like reference that I thought mm. of when I thought of Buffy, and I was like, "This is fucking." And like in, uh, oh, fuck, I can't, I can't remember what it was. There was another reference to something that I thought of Buffy when I saw it, and I was like, "It's kind of interesting, like how much of the oh, the Invisible Boy," because there's the episode where Amy is invisible. Um, Inca Mommy Girl as well. Yeah, Inca Mommy Girl. And that's in season two. But mm. there's the like the whole thing of like... Because she's, in she's invisible, but then she goes into like... The, they trap her into the fucking statue yeah. of the little cheerleading Cheerleader. thing at the end. And I was like, yeah, it's amazing. Somebody who wrote the first season of Buffy... Really not, liked not, not he who shall not be named, but somebody on that writing team was like... Guys, there's this geezer called R.L. Stein, right? He wrote all these fucking stories. Let's just do just do some of these weird random episodes until we find our footing. Um, but yeah, I like I love that. But I like I was watching this movie because we've not seen this movie for a while. I think the last time we watched this movie was the night before we went to download mm. a few years ago. Because um, we watched it when Adam and Rachel came over. Um, and I'd not seen it in a while. And I'd forgotten how much fun it is like it's just a fun movie i mean dylan minette is in this which like drastically lowers my excitement anytime that kid is attached attached to a project um but like he's carved out a bit of a horror thing for himself like he's in don't breathe he's in five cream he's in this he's just like yeah man i just want to be in like horror movies where i have like a blonde mother who's an authoritarian figure who like keeps me under her thumb that's his whole bag I like Dylan Minnette <laughs> but um, yeah one of the things I actually did want to go through because I'm going to mention it so since you mentioned the characters in this story mm-hmm. in the film we actually I actually looked up how many are referenced in the actual story um, so I'm just going to bring up the information now so, in this movie, we have characters. We have Slappy the Dummy, whose first appearance was Night of the Living Dummy. We have Hannah Fairchild, who is Hannah Stein, who we find out R.L. Stein created because he was desperately lonely, so he created a daughter for himself. She is from The Ghost Next Door. We've got The Abominable Snowman from The Abominable Snowman of Pasadena. We have The, haunting, the Haunted Car from the book The Haunted Car. The Lawn Gnomes from Revenge of the Lawn Gnomes. The Man Eating Plants from Your Plant Food. Uh, the Bug Eyed Aliens from Invasion of the Body Squeezers. Hmm. Phoebe the Vampire Poodle from Please Don't Feed the Vampire. The Invisible Boy from My Best Friend is Invisible. 
the giant praying mantis from a sh from a shocker on shock street the werewolf of fever swamp from the werewolf of fever swamp the graveyard ghouls from attack of the graveyard ghouls the creeps from calling all creeps the haunted mask from the haunted mask I didn't see a Buffy episode as well. Yeah, I don't remember seeing the haunted mask in the show. It's um, well, in the film. In the film, it's literally like it's a back, it's their background character. Ah, okay. Um, the scarecrows from the scarecrow walks at midnight. Madam Doom from Revenge of the Living Dummy. Uh, Professor Shock from the creepy creations of Professor Shock. The pumpkin head, not to be confused with pumpkin head, uh, from Attack of the Jack O' Lanterns. Uh, the Annihilator Three Thousands from Toy Terror batteries included. Uh, the Lord High Executioner from A Night in Terror Tower, the Mummy of Prince Koru from Return of the Mummy, uh, Nila Ramad from Return of the Mummy, Murder the Clown from A Nightmare on Clown Street, the Muglani from Deep in the Jungle of Doom, Cronby the Troll from Deep in the Jungle of Doom, the Bog Monster from How to Kill a Monster, the Snake Lady from Escape from the Carnival of Horrors, Bees from Why I'm Afraid of Bees, Count Nightwing, oh, like Camp Nightwing, yeah. uh, from Vampire Breath, uh, Countess Yvonne from Please Don't Feed the Vampires, Captain Long Ben One Leg from Creep from the Deep, Clarissa from Be Careful What You Wish For, and The Blob That Ate Everyone from the book of the same title. So they really did just smash so many of his fucking characters in this thing. Like It is a yeah. literal like grab bag of like, here the fuck is everything that like just throwing it all in there. Oh yeah. But I think it's really cool and like Um I'm pretty sure there was a few characters that weren't on there though, because the Venus flytrap wasn't on there. That's the plants. Oh, is that what's yeah. the plants? Yeah. The the, 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 the the like eating plants. The Venus but like traps. when you like I'm gonna reference the book again. Because like the book cover that I've got it has the werewolf of fever swamp, the abominable snowman, the blob that ate everyone and your boy Slappy on it. Mm -hmm. Looking at these drawings, they look, the fucking creature design in the movie is exceptional. They look exactly like the characters look on yeah. the covers of the book. Like that that particular picture there where there's like a lot of them all sat together. Like you can see the jack-o'-lantern head, you can see the ghouls. Um, yeah, they really, really, the they really, the really look like how they look in the book. And that's one of the best things about the film, I think, is the actual creature design itself is fucking exceptional. The only thing I would have liked is I would have liked a few more practical effects. Like, there are scenes where Slappy is real, like they created a real Slappy dummy, um, and you can see that in certain scenes where he's, like, sat down and he's doing stuff. Um, but there are obviously scenes where he's CGI. Um, yeah. And I think the movie does... Because it is a movie set in the, like, 2010s, it does suffer a little bit from an overabundance of CGI. And I would love to have had a few more, especially with like the characters that they could have done practically, like the pumpkin person or, or like the, the characters that are like more human looking. They could have just had, for the, for the fact that they're in crowd shots, they could have just had people in costume and then I maybe... I think they do. Like, no, they do. Do they? A lot of the crowd shot creatures are people in costume. It's hard to tell because they don't, because like, where they're all moving really fast and stuff, yeah. it is kind of hard to tell. Um, but that would be my only niggle, is that there's like a lot of CGI in this movie. However, all of the creatures look fucking cool. The, this is the thing, like, the where they could have easily done the werewolf yeah. as... Um, like a person in a suit. A person in a suit, like they could have physically made a werewolf. Mm -hmm. um, and I, that's always, that always disappoints me a little bit, is, like, is a CGI werewolf, because I'm like... 
a werewolf is not difficult to um, to put together. Yeah. But, you know. But there are some of them that obviously needed to be CGI, like the praying mantis and stuff needed to be CGI and all that sort of thing. The praying mantis is really fucking cool, actually. Like, the scene where he chases... Or she... The, the praying mantis chases them is one of the best scenes in the movie. Um, yeah. And I love the scene with the... Um, uh, gnomes like we said before do you know what that's really interesting actually because obviously a part of this film takes place in like a fair yeah the opening of the fair or is it the opening of the um mirror house mm-hmm. looks very similar to the mock sketches for yeah. Horrorland. sorry i'm flicking through the book as we talk because <coughs> i'm just looking at all the photos you mentioned Horrorland. It gives me a chance to make a cheap plug while you're looking that up our friends over at Welcome to Horrorland, the clothing store, actually have a Goosebumps drop coming this week. They have got a brand new Goosebumps t-shirt that has got some of the iconic artwork on it. And they are releasing a brand new Goosebumps rug as well, which is going to be the big drippy green G. So get yourself some of that fucking Goosebumps action from yeah. from our homies. They're the same place I got my faculty shirt from. Uh, my faculty shirt is sick. Love that shit. But yeah, it's really interesting to kind of... Whoever made the movie... All I will say is whoever made the movie obviously gave a shit about the property. It wasn't like, oh, we're making this movie because like we have to or like we're trying to make money. Like Whoever directed it, wrote it and stuff. Oh, yeah, the cuckoo clock is in it as well. That's one of the ones that wasn't on the list. The co- he, um, um, he's not one of the characters, though. He's just in the basement. Yeah, Zach co- runs past the cuckoo clock of doom. Mm-hmm. Um, whoever made the, sh- the film, I would say, really, really did a good job because everything looks fucking spot on. I don't remember much about the second one. I know that Jack Black's not in the second one and I know it's somebody different voicing Slappy. Um, I don't remember a great deal about the second one, though. I think it's kind of another similar premise, isn't it? Like, it's more characters that come to life and Slappy's, like, doing the same thing again. the life of me cannot remember. I literally have no reference at all um, for that film whatsoever. I I don't know what happens in it. Yeah, I, I don't remember. But for me, personally, I would say this movie seven years later has held up really well and i think with the incredible resurgence and interest levels in rl stein's work especially this year i think there's going to be a lot more of it because it's the 30th anniversary i think over the summer when the 30th anniversary hits in july i think there's probably going to be a lot more i think now would be a really fucking good time hint to release some premium editions of those original books so oh, yeah, I don't have to go on eBay and buy like some like fucking job lot stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I have a feeling that with the new show coming to Disney Plus, because the show on Disney Plus is taking the same approach as the film. It's going to be monsters are being unleashed. Some children have to stop them kind of rather than going back to the anthology era. But I will say, over in the UK, we are getting screwed. There are like eight episodes of the first season that's on Netflix, and that's it. So if somebody wants to like re-release the show over here on like a streaming service, let me know because hmm. you will have my money. I will, I will forever watch Goosebumps. But yeah, I'm looking forward to the new show. I think the new show is going to be good. I think the concept of Goosebumps because it's very much like it's one of those one of those weird things with Goosebumps. It's very much like. R.L. Stein is one of those authors who I feel is always winking at his audience. Like we're in for a scare, guys, but we're gonna have fun. And oh, he's yeah, always kind of definitely. like he's kind of like 
I don't want to. I don't want to horrify people too much. He's he's always like winking at the audience. I feel. Yeah, he. Um, this is the thing though with R.L. Stein is okay. Yeah, they are creepy and they're supposed to be creepy, scary stories, but they're always just fun enough. Yeah. That you're like, oh, it's fine. Like it's not that bad. Yeah. So yeah, I like. Like I was not a big R.L. Stein fan, as I said. Like I didn't really grow up reading the books or anything. But I've always quite enjoyed the TV show, and I grew up in the era of like anthology kid horror shows because I literally grew up watching Goosebumps and Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yeah. Like it was a good time to be a kid for anthology horror when I was a little. Um. But yeah, no, it's a, it's a, you know, the film's really fun, and it's a good way to adapt something that is. Basically, as a film, kind of unadaptable. Yeah. Because you can't do, like, a series of films based around one of these books. Because, A, the books are really short. And if I remember correctly, when they did the show, they did, they used to do, it was, like, two or three different stories. Or is that Are You Afraid of the Dark? That's Are You Afraid of the Dark. The show, the show was, like, an episode per, like, a book per episode. Yeah. And then they did some, like, two-part episodes, Mm. like, but... The thing is, that's kind of what I feel strange about the fact of them... Like, the movie works because you have the medium of, like, fuck, we can't adapt just one book because you have to make it for mainstream audiences that may have never read the books and things like that. But with the with the advent of streaming, that's why I'm kind of intrigued as to why they've gone back to the thing film is, formula though, for the TV is show. Maybe they haven't, maybe they haven't, because all we really know about it is that the monsters are getting unleashed and kids have to put them back in the books. Yeah. Or have to stop them, whatever it is. And it could very easily take on like a Monster of the Week style. Yeah, could do. We don't know too much about we the show. We don't know like, a lot about it. But like, I would hope that the show would kind of remember its anthology roots and go back to it a little bit more, because... As we said, with the advent of streaming, there is so much that they can do in terms of like bringing, especially with the renewed interest in the characters, they can do like updated effects, update mm-hmm. production values, like they can do a lot of really cool stuff with it. And like the film was a success, the first movie was successful, so obviously there was an audience for it. The movie, the movie cost like fifty million dollars to make, and it made one hundred and fifty-eight, mm-hmm. I think. So it wasn't unsuccessful, and like. I just think at the moment, like, we need more horror for kids and for families. I think horror for adults is in a really strong place right now. Like, we talk about it on a weekly basis. What mm. a great, you know, situation we're in for, like, horror at the moment. I feel like there's not enough gateway horror for kids. And that's why it was kind of exciting when they started talking about, like, they're doing Fear Street and they're going to do, like, a whole Fear Street universe yeah. on Netflix with maybe, like, interconnected TV shows and more films and really exploring Fear Street. And I hope Goosebumps gets the same, like, treatment and the same reverence because mm-hmm. it was the original. It was the Oh, first. yeah, no, it's definitely. I and think it definitely there's still it. definitely... Even if it's just nerdy adults that are like, hey, man... Give me that sweet, sweet nostalgia. Give me that shit that I remember as a kid. But it's a really good thing for like people that are like our age that like when it came out when we were kids, now that we're starting to have children and we're like, or we are, have friends that have children and things like that, it's yeah. a good thing for us to be like, hey, so no, you're not going to read it, but this book's also about a scary clown. So, oh, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Definitely. Stuff like that. So it's kind of like, it, it's it's going to be fun. It's going like, what would be your last thoughts on Goosebumps and the legacy of R.L. Stein? Um, I mean, uh, you know, 
it's a difficult one for me because like i've said like outside of the tv show is never really fussed with the goosebumps i think it's a fun like um tv series i think the film is super fun um will goosebumps have a lasting legacy i think that completely depends on kids who grow up with it mm-hmm. because it's only going to have a lasting legacy if we pass it down to our children yeah well, I think, to be honest, like the legacy of the show and the book speak for themselves. The fact that we're still here talking about it 30 years later yeah. kind of says that it already has that legacy. And the fact that yeah, we're looking at new ways to like... The thing is, though, is like you said, a lot of it is these nerdy adults who are like, oh, yeah, goosebumps. <laughs> but I'm excited to see what comes next. I think this is a... F- great movie um, it it's fun. one that i was really worried wouldn't hold up after a couple of years away from watching it mm. um but it really has it's a really really fun movie really enjoyable way to kick off our family friendly horror month um really looking forward to what we're covering next week because next week on valentine's day we're dropping our episode of ruby Dooby doo which i'm which very quite excited exciting. ruby doo don't forget this episode is coming out monday the 7th of february february um this will be dropping at 9am. So if you're listening to this today, go to our social media because we are announcing today what your two choices for this month's Crossing the Stream are going to be. Uh, I did put a post out on Twitter. Your choices for this month are Fear Street 1994 mm-hmm. and Willy's Wonderland. Where so get voting. The poll will be up for 24 hours. The film with the most votes will be our Crossing the Stream episode on the 18th of this month. Um, And the film that loses this month will be next month's Crossing the Stream episode. So get voting, get your votes in. um, And then what we will do is we will see you next week for some Ruby-Doo action. Um, Don't forget to follow us on social media. We've not given it any access, babe. Oh. See, I, I, okay, yeah, yeah, I completely, like, I, complete, I got a bit carried away with myself. Any uh, How many axes are you giving Goosebumps? Four. I think this I is think a four, four, solid yeah. four out of five. I think it's a solid four. I think I will agree with yeah. you on that one. I think it's a solid four out of five. Part of it's nostalgia and part of it's like, it's a really fun film. Um, so yeah, join us next week when we're covering Scooby-Doo for the 20th anniversary of that batshit mental movie. Hmm. Find us on social media, as always, on Twitter at S-I-M-A-H-F-Pod. Tumblr and Instagram at SarmaradaHorrorFan, all lowercase, all one word. And don't forget you can rate us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And we will see you next week. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Bye.